Hello and welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thanks for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. This lesson was previously recorded by Michelle in front of a live audience. Father God, thank you for bringing us together for this final chapter of the book of Galatians. Lord, I pray that I'd not get in the way of what you plan to do, but that you would truly speak to our hearts today. Lord, may I become less, may you become more. May the name of Christ be uplifted in all that is said and done today. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul appealed to the believers in the region of Galatia that because Christ had set them free, they were to stand firm and not let themselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery by following the law of Moses. He explained that returning to the law of Judaism by being circumcised would really be of no benefit to them as, and I quote, the only thing that counts is faith expressed itself through love. If we love Jesus, we are going to obey his commands, but we serve out of gratitude for the freedom that we have in Christ. However, God's grace does not give us a license to sin and to live as we please. The Holy Spirit who indwells us now draws us away from our past sins and produces his fruit in us as we follow his leading. And that fruit, as Paul declares, is to be the attributes of joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I know that we may become discouraged sometimes by the fact that we still struggle in one or another of these areas, but I want to say that growth often takes time. In fact, it will take a lifetime. There are two theological words that are very helpful to know. One is justification and the other is sanctification. Justification is what happens when our sin is forgiven and our relationship with God the Father is restored through our faith in Jesus Christ. If you're not sure what this word means, you can remember it this way. When I am justified, it is just as if I'd never sinned. All our sins are not counted against us, and because we believe that Jesus paid the penalty for them, God immediately transfers us from the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom of light, and we are justified. The other word that's relevant here is sanctification. Sanctification is the ongoing process of our being made holy, and this happens when we become more and more like Christ in our actions. There is a Bible verse that helps us to see the difference between justification and sanctification, justification being immediate and sanctification being a process. And the Bible verse is Hebrews 10, 14, where the writer speaking of Christ and his sacrifice says, 
For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So positionally we are made perfect forever, right in the sight of God by Christ's death on the cross. But becoming like him, sanctification, is a process that is ongoing as the Holy Spirit produces his fruit in us because we are being made holy. As any farmer will tell you, producing fruit not only takes time, it takes intentional work. We must take care to grow in these areas. We're to keep in step with the Holy Spirit as he leads us through life. Now, as we finally get into our last section of his letter, Paul continues talking about how we can keep in step with the Spirit and what it will look like, particularly in the area of relationships. He knew that in any gathering of believers, there would be times when individuals would fall into sin. And so he speaks of how we are to act in such circumstances. So let's look at chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted." Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. When he speaks of someone being caught in a sin here, it could also be translated as if someone is caught out in some moral slip-up. This, therefore, does not suggest deliberate, ongoing sin, but that any person may unintentionally slip in the mud as they walk down a difficult path. Those around them who are walking more in step with the Holy Spirit are not to judge that person unfairly, seeing themselves as somehow being superior to the one who has fallen, but rather they're to, and I quote, restore that person gently, helping them to return to the Lord and seek forgiveness from him before continuing on their journey with him. It's really interesting that the, the word that Paul uses here when he says that we're to restore people is katartizo, which was often used when speaking of mending something that had been broken or torn. For example, they would use this word to talk about a broken arm being set so that the bone could heal, or about the mending of a fishing net that had been torn. So when a Christian brother or sister slips off the path that they were on with God, there's often pain and damage that will take time to be repaired. And Paul says that we are to do this with gentleness and consideration. Our main objective is to get them back on their feet, moving forward with the Lord. And so the focus of our actions is not to be condemnation, but rather cure. The reality is that we too can fall into temptation. We too can slip up and we must be willing to treat others as we ourselves would wish to be treated. This, after all, is not a lifestyle of sin that Paul's talking about. Rather, it is a momentary lapse in an ongoing walk with God. Paul reminds us that our job as believers is to carry each other's burdens. 
For the law of Christ really is to love God and to love others as ourselves. And then he goes on to warn against falling into the trap of arrogance and self-importance as we minister in this way. Look at verse 3. If anyone thinks they're something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Paul emphasizes that this real challenge that's facing all Christians in that we can think that we are better than others who do not know Christ or who have slipped back into some sort of sin. Yes, we do have an incredibly privileged position as the children of God, but this is an honor that did not come to us because we deserved it, for we're just as much a wretch as any other person, or at least we were. The only person that we are to compare ourselves to is Christ himself. You see, the only person we ultimately have to give an account for is ourselves, and we have to remember that being a Christian doesn't make us better than other people, but it should make us better than we used to be. Yes, we're to help one another bear the burdens of life by showing consideration, by being willing to work toward restoration of those who have slipped up by offering them mature support rather than unyielding judgment. But there's also a load that each one of us have to carry, a responsibility that we have to shoulder for ourselves. And that is the weight of who we are and what we will become in Christ. Jesus will change us, but we have to cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes, you know, when we focus on others, on what they are or aren't doing, it often blinds us to the very things that the Lord is trying to accomplish in our own lives. Paul becomes very practical then, saying in verse 6, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. He asks that they be willing to share what they have, especially with those who teach them and who mentor them in their walk with the Lord. In those days, believers really shared what they had with one another, and it should be no different today. However, for many, that is something that's very, very difficult to do. When God asks us to give to others, especially to those in the body of believers, many of us give out of our excess. In other words, we give what's left over after our own needs and often our own wants 
have been met. But God knows that each time we make a decision to share or not to share with others, we're really making a declaration about whether or not we trust him as our provider. We should always act out of faith in God's care for us, irrespective of how much we give. A perfect example of this is the poor woman in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44, who gave two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Jesus commended her, saying that she had given more than the wealthy because he knew that she actually had given out of her need. Like her, we should be willing to give because we trust the Lord. Paul has spent most of his letter talking about those groups within the church who emphasized legalism, but there were also those groups that emphasized the grace and the freedom that we have in Christ to such an extent that they essentially taught that it didn't matter what a believer did in the course of their life, because whatever they did, they could always be forgiven. Now, Paul addresses them in verses 7 and 8, saying, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Paul states that though we are not saved by our actions, what we do does have consequences. It is true that if we repent, we can be forgiven irrespective of what we've done, but we may still have to suffer the after effects of our behavior. Now, nowhere is that more clearly seen than at the maximum security prison I visit from time to time. There are men there who sincerely love the Lord. During their years in prison, they have come to faith in Jesus Christ and they've been forgiven by God. God. They're now in right relationship with God the Father. However, they've not been released from the consequences of their past actions. Unfortunately, there can be consequences for anyone who chooses sin over God. Paul wanted them to understand this, and so he speaks to them in terms that any farmer could appreciate, saying that a person reaps what they sow. You know you cannot plant bananas and expect to harvest tomatoes. And in the same way, if you live to please your sinful nature, there's often a cost for that. Ultimately, that kind of life unchecked will lead to destruction. However, if you live in step with the Holy Spirit, you will know abundant life. Whether you ever get the blessing of the big house on the hill that you've always dreamed of or not. In the next verses, Paul wants to encourage his friends to continue to live for God, and he called them to be generous to others, seeking to extend God's kingdom irrespective of the personal cost. Paul, of all people, knew how hard that could be. He knew what it was like to work for the Lord without seeing a lot of immediate fruit. 
He knew what it was like to have to repeatedly counteract the false teacher's teaching as he journeyed from place to place. And so he goes back to his farming picture by saying that we are not to become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers." The life of a farmer, if you think about it, involves a lot of hard work. They have to get up early to go to the fields and come home late after hours of back-breaking toil. It's similar for the Christian minister, actually for any believer. Life can be hard, especially if you're following Christ closely. You will be living against the culture that surrounds you. You may not have much support. You may not be thanked for what you do or see any fruit from doing the right things. Paul understands that there's a very real possibility of getting tired of doing good to others, especially when they don't treat us with kindness in return. But he stipulates that we're not to give up But we are to do good to all people, not just those we get along with or like. We are to specially show kindness to others who believe in Jesus, our brothers and sisters in him, because we know that God is faithful. And one day, if not here, then in his presence, we will reap a reward. And so we are to persevere in faith for what we do not yet see. Recently, I was reading an article about a medical missionary by the name of Dr. William Leslie, who in 1912 went to live in a remote corner of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. He lived and worked there for 17 years without seeing much fruit. When he returned to the United States, he was very discouraged and in fact died nine years later believing that he'd really failed to make any impact for Christ. However, in 2010, a world mission group that specifically seeks out unreached people across the globe unknowingly sent a team into that same area where Dr. Leslie had worked over 75 years before. Flying two and a half hours east of Kinshasa, they hiked to the Kwailu River where they had to cross in dugout boats. They then walked 10 miles or more into the jungle before they reached the remote region of the Yansi people. They thought they would find people with no real understanding of Christ and they were not prepared for what awaited them. Because there, they found a network of churches that were reproducing themselves throughout the jungle. In fact, they found a church in each of the eight villages that they visited scattered over a 34-mile area. And even one of those churches had been built out of stone and was able to seat 1,000 people. They learned that the large stone church had got so crowded in the 1980s with so many people walking long distances to attend the services that they began to plant other churches in the surrounding villages. As there was no Bible written in the Yancey language at that time, the leaders were preaching from a French Bible. 
When they were all asked how they had come to know about Christ, they all spoke of a man who had visited their area for a month each year from 1912 for many years. He would minister to the sick and teach from the Bible in each village he went to. He had taught many of the children to read and write and talked about the importance of education as he taught them Bible stories. It was only when the team got home to the United States to follow up on the information the villagers had given them that they learned of Dr. Leslie. Though he'd lived in the region for 17 years and faithfully ministered the love and grace of the gospel, he thought he had not made any real difference. But how wrong he was. The legacy he left was huge and the harvest of souls is still going on today and it was only possible because he was faithful and he didn't give up. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. As Paul brings his letter to the Galatians to a close, he says in verse 11, See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Usually, Paul would only sign the letters he dictated to those who were assisting him. However, he has so much love and concern for his friends in these churches of Galatia that he now takes up the pen himself and he begins to write to conclude the letter. Once more, he revisits the things that are most important to him, and he comments on his large letters. And I think they may be large because he's trying to emphasize his point. And he warns in verse 12, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation." Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. So he concludes by saying that those who were pushing for the Gentiles to be circumcised and to accept the law of Moses were really in it for themselves. They were trying to impress people by seeming to be super spiritual because of their good works. But there was another motive at work here as well. You see, being circumcised provided them with some level of protection at the time. Let me explain. If they kept the law, if they were circumcised, then they would be able to masquerade as Jews and be protected from any Jewish persecution of Christians. But they thought that being recognized as Jews would keep them safe from Roman persecution as well. You see, Rome tolerated Judaism and allowed the Jews to practice their religion. But Rome did not approve of Christianity and was already beginning to move against the church. The truth was 
The Judaizers wanted to, and I quote Paul, avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. And this seemed to be a very reasonable way of accomplishing that. But as Christians, we're to stand for Jesus irrespective of the cultural or personal cost. Beyond seeking this kind of cultural safety, the Judaizers also wanted to boast in their accomplishments. They wanted a reputation, a following. Paul said that the only thing he was willing to boast in was what Jesus Christ had done on the cross to purchase his freedom because he had the power to change his life and make him a new creation. Spiritually speaking, Saul the old man was dead, and the new man, Paul, had been raised to new life in Christ. Circumcision had not accomplished that. It was Christ alone who had brought about this transformation. And Paul reassured them that circumcision meant nothing. It was all about the new creation that they were in Christ. For those who trust Christ not only know God's peace and mercy, they become the true people of God or Israel of God. You know, the name Israel actually means prince of God. And Paul applies that name to us as God's royal children now that we've been born again. Paul, in the final sentences of his letter, makes his final appeal. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. He asks that no one continue to cause trouble for him because he bore on his body the brand marks of Jesus. Now, in those days, slave owners often branded their servants. And saying this was really a way of connecting with his audience, many of whom were slaves in the Roman Empire. Paul had suffered much for the gospel. And in fact, when he writes to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 27, he lists there all that he endured for the gospel, saying, and I quote, that he had been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. All of these things not only had left marks on Paul's body, they proved his commitment to Jesus. For he had been willing to suffer even as Christ had suffered for him. And Paul's final words to his beloved friends in the province of Galatia was grace. The very grace that he'd been saying could be found in Christ alone. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Paul was a man who lived what he said he believed. 
He'd known what it was to be doing all the right things as a Jew and still be distant from God. He knew how his encounter with Christ, the risen Lord, on the road from Damascus had changed him forever. And he knew that abundant, eternal life could only be found in Christ. And fittingly, he concludes his letter as he began with the fact that there is no other way to be saved except through faith in Christ that all others who preach a different gospel will remain under God's judgment. You cannot really serve Christ if you seek to be a people pleaser. Nothing matters other than the cross of Christ, for it is Christ alone who has the power to transform us. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for these beautiful words of Paul and how they encourage our spirits also. Lord, I pray that we would not grow weary of doing good, but that we would continue to press on, walking closely with your Holy Spirit to minister to the lost and the hurting around us. Lord, help us to truly shine the light of Christ in a dark world and to truly reach out to others with hands of love that go beyond their understanding. It is in Jesus' name and for the extension of his kingdom that we ask this. Amen. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. Michelle's messages are also available on all major podcast platforms and on her website at intheword.com.